welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee, the Inside the Firm. Today, I have a very special guest. Carson Spitzke is the founder of Spitz Solutions. Spitz Solutions use a mix of growth marketing and public relations to drive new leads and convert them into sales and clients with efficiency. Their strategies are unorthodox and rely heavily on providing value to journalists and clients as the first step to turning someone who has never heard of them into a client. Carson has worked with brands like TEDx and variously publicly traded companies and is also an Amazon bestseller at the age of 21. Carson, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Lance, and good intro. Yeah, I love I love your hair. Uh, we love having you on. So before we get into what you do, I ask everybody this question, Carson. How, how did you get here? Are you from a family of entrepreneurs? Where does that entrepreneurial spirit come from? I had a very competitive nature, very competitive background. Being as young as I am, if I don't know how familiar the viewers might be because it's American based, but up in Canada, everyone plays hockey. I was actually, I was okay at hockey. I played against um, Connor Bedard. He went first overall in this year's draft. He's not bad, but really I always had a competitive mindset. I took that into classes where I ended up skipping a grade, graduating about 16, 18 months early or something like that. And during that time, because when I went through skipping a grade, I always worked independently, like teacher would talk in class, I would work on my own, or I'd work on different course material, right? Um, That was pretty common for how I learned, like Mm -hmm. I couldn't really learn at their pace, because I always wanted to move quicker. And that that's what gave me the work ethic, how I pivoted that and turned that into like a public relations firm and helping people improve their reception using that to drive business was like many uh, Gen Z's my age, I kind of got caught up into the whole make money online, make money like free anywhere right away, make 10K a month in one month, that sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I think all that's fine, but I kind of reverse engineered when I bought into that stuff. It's like, why did I buy into this stuff? And I realized it was two things. One, it was the content or the value that was shared with me that made me like that person. But what drove me into actually putting money down was the fact that those influencers, they would have things, they would have recommendations by like Kevin O'Leary, or they would be in Forbes, they'd be on CNBC, right? And I felt, well, if those major outlets, publications, people probably smarter than I am, thought they were trusted, why can't I do that exact same thing for other business owners and help them become more trusted so they can stand out and do exactly what happened to me and thousands of others where you're turning someone from never heard of you into client within a week or a couple of weeks. I love that. I love that a lot. Uh, yeah, that, especially that competitive nature. Um, I'm, I'm with you hundred percent where that comes from. Um, how do you get mentors through cold email? Yeah, that's, it's an interesting topic because cold email, especially like the people listening, I do like cold email very heavily because it gets you partnerships, gets you in touch with the right people, get you speaking events, get you featured and get you business. Right. But for most people on the show, their experience with cold email is they get a couple hundred cold emails a day that are beyond terrible, not catered to them, no consideration, anything like that. How I look at it from a mentor's phase is 
you have to be a person of value to give value, right? When I started, I wasn't necessarily worthy of asking, say, uh, Warren Buffett to be my mentor, right? What, what value could I give him? If anything, I'd be a bit of a drag. Mm-hmm. So what you do have to do is you do have to have some kind of knowledge, some kind of skill, some kind of authority to even be worthy of being mentored. But once you have that down, really the key tactics, the key notes uh, portion of it is kind of finding a gap in what they're doing, whether it's like their marketing or their branding or how they're serving people so that you yourself can help them and deliver value. What I did was I would see people who they get burned by a PR firm, right? And it was people who were predominantly pretty high up. I saw, okay, this person got burned. Let's, he, he did a bit of podcasting. So what I did was I said, hey, I'll fly out. We can film a bunch of content on maybe how people can not get burned by PR firms. And he took me up on that, right? I still talk to him this day. I actually met with him last week. And he's helped me a fair amount to grow my personal brand as well. So it really is at the end of the day, finding out a gap where you can add value. Maybe only you can add value. And it's something where you're kind of like a couple of steps below them so that like they can actually deliver proper value. The only other point outside of that I would look at for something like this is figure out who you want to be mentored by. There's no point having 10 different mentors saying 10 different things. If you find in a mentor and you like their approach and you can achieve your goals based off their approach, do everything you can to get in front of them and be persistent, but also like you're a friend. It's not like a status gap. Yeah. You have to make them be seen as a friend. That's the key thing as well. Beautiful. Yeah. How did you generate 2000 book meetings in 16 months? A lot of email, a lot of ads, <laughs> that's for sure. But really everything we look at, sure, you can send out as much volume or run as much dollar ad spend as you want. Mm -hmm. The key thing we look at is what happens the second a lead gets in, right? So I've actually tested this out where I would email from someone else's name, like be it someone on my company who didn't necessarily have a brand Mm -hmm. and they weren't necessarily having company branding yet. So if someone was to search them up, they wouldn't really find anything. Like it was a super common name. So I'm not really going to find anything anyways, but I would change it to doing like myself or putting my company name in the uh, email name or something like that. That would increase um, expectations that would increase the conversion rate. But really everything that's happening with that is quick lead to reply. That's what we look at. If you're replying to someone within one minute, within five minutes from what we're seeing, 75% more likelihood that they're going to reply back or pick up the phone or even still have interest, right? Because I'm going to imagine you or anyone else listening, you've heard of something you thought, sure, I'll get some more information on that. And then you, time goes by three minutes, five minutes, day, couple of days, and you realize I don't really need this information anymore. Yeah. And then you stop caring. And then you're not going to go into the upsell after the information to like actually buy, right? So it is just having team members in place so that they can call on your behalf, email on your behalf right away. You can do this a little bit with AI, but it's not there yet. I know other people that have, like there are various um, tools that can call people with AI and obviously text and email them. But again, it's not there yet. Is, is it, do you think it's just not there because it's not personal yet? And you can tell it's an AI bot and you don't have that touch. I don't think it's because it's not personal. That is a factor, right? Yeah. But we saw okay results when we'd say something like, hey, this is just an AI calling you behalf on like spit solutions, like one of the ads you opted in. That did okay. The issue was it couldn't really go off script because you have to program mm. it in a linear path. 
Like if you get off of that path, you're screwed. Our audience is largely, I would say over half of it is architects, uh, engineers, designers, construction people, you know, in, in that industry. What, what kind of advice would you give them if they, if they listen to this show, this episode in particular, and they're like, you know what, I'd like to do some email prospecting. And let's say it's an architect reaching out to a bunch of contractors and they're just cold emails. But what, what are the things you would advise them to look for so that they can fill a need that maybe the contractors need? So therefore you are a person of value reaching out to a person of value. I think one thing that is a great idea especially if you're trying to build partnerships because partnerships are a very low risk ask, especially referral partnerships or working together on deals and stuff like that. One way you can go about it, if you're in a local area, you could just simply ask if they're open to discussing a partnership opportunity, but you do want to take it a couple of steps further. One method I have seen, not necessarily method, but one thing I've seen, and you're kind of doing this too, in a sense, but people that host podcasts, Mm -hmm. most people, if they have any type of ambition to build out their brand, they're going to say yes to being a guest, right? Because yeah. what does it do? It builds them up, right? Like I can take the clips from this podcast that you invited me on and build, use it to build out my audience and by proxy, build out your audience too, right? And what can be done after that, simply after you host like a 15, 20 minute episode, all you really have to do is you just have to ask, hey, would you be open to um, like potentially partnering? I have a couple of things that could be your, could be thrown your way. And really, like the only thing you're trying to accomplish with that is you're just trying to escalate up the chain of referral partners they might have by providing such a shock value that they figure, well, if this person's doing this much upfront right away, what's it going to be like working with him? I figure the results are going to be pretty good, right? Yeah. Where does, so I noticed, you know, behind you for people who are watching on YouTube, there's a couple, I think they're degrees or certificates. I'm really curious, Carson, you know, you, you're young, you're younger than me, about half my age. Where does this knowledge come from? You know, is it, is, did it come from a traditional university? Is it just on the job experience? Is it the mentors you reached out to? Where, where did you get, how are you at a, such a young age, this, have this kind of prowess with marketing? The, I'd say it's time in, like time in and persistence. I also learn really quickly. So that is my unfair advantage. Like I can process information relatively quickly. I don't think that is something that can be taught just Mm. because it's been like a lifetime of learning and it's really a habit for me at that point. The actual degrees, one of them is like a Harvard CS50. The other one's kind of like um, my roommate, so it's not really mine, but like it does help for perception. And the one thing I think about perception, you have to be brutally upfront or kind of pre-handle it. Uh, We we can touch on this a little bit later, but really like the skills, you kind of have to gamify like learning and gamify uh, getting better. As cringy as it sounds, like getting better in a sense, right? Like for me, when I was five to 10, one thing I would do, I would play like this math game. And I ended up becoming like two grades ahead in math because mm-hmm. I would play that game for like six to 10 hours a day. Mm-hmm. I would, it's kind of embarrassing. I would throw on something like I had the tiger and I would just play that game. Like I know awesome. people that have done that with chess. I know people that have done that just with science or other things. And yeah. Those are generally the people that end up in MIT or Harvard or something like that. Not saying that if you don't end up in those places, like you're not going to make it, right? Plenty of CD students that like succeed become billionaires, but what do they all have in common? They all have an insatiable work ethic and they are able to derive pleasure from 
you know, mundane things. Maybe not yeah. pleasure, but keep doing it. Well, they they gamify it. I think that was the critical part there. I'm not sure that was cringy at all. I, I, I'm a millennial. I get your Gen Z and you got to use those words, but it was, that was not cringy at all, Carson. That was great. Uh, how, how, how have you guys figured out how to integrate PR into marketing and sales? Yeah. So it's a couple of different things. First off the marketing branding side. And from how I look at it too, it kind of just depends on the size of the business. Obviously, if we're working with a publicly traded company or like a nine-figure, eight-figure company, they do have a lot of these systems and processes down pat. We're working with like a seven-figure, six-figure business. They might not have it. So this is something that they're building out for the first time. Really, the first thing you want to look at when you're getting featured, if you can control it for yourself or if you can like pitch yourself out, you want to look at what do you want to be known for? And you can look at this from two things. You can look at it from an intrinsic perspective to determine what do I want to be known? And the second thing, what do my clients need to hear right now in order to get them to that next step? I call them like trigger points, right? And the easiest way to get trigger points is to actively talk to your clients, figure out why did you buy from me? What issues were you having? What issues did this solve? What issues are you thinking about right now? And what do people in your circle say as far as issues go? You can then take that, formulate a marketing message, and all PR is, it's just someone else telling your marketing message and kind of showing why you're good at what you do. Now, you can do this in a couple of different ways. You can like speak on podcasts about your message. You can have articles written about you about your message. You can go on stages and speak about your message, right? But at the end of the day, if no one cares about what you're saying, they're not going to go to that next step whether it be booking you for a speaking event or turning into a lead or putting money on the table, right? That's really the easiest thing. But what also you have to look out for when you're featured, that's the other portion too, because I'm sure as you can imagine, I'm just going to use online media as an example here, Mm -hmm. but podcast applies just the same. When a feature or a podcast episode drops on you, and you post it to your social, send it to your email list, you're probably going to get what, like two to five days of relevance, buzz, or something like that. What you want to do is you want to keep that buzz as long as you can, right? So if you're doing like online media work and you put your name in the title and it ranks for name and title, and especially if it's like a powerful publication too, that doesn't disappear if you're continuously getting traffic to it. So what you want to have happen is, if someone searches up like Lance Keiko, if they have like as seen in Forbes or Inc or entrepreneur articles pop up for you or a Wikipedia page, that does help take people to the next step. Uh, another thing that's very simple, kind of common, you do like as seen in on the front page of your website mm-hmm. or your lander or your opt-in page. I've even seen ads recently where they just take a screenshot of an article and that's their ad, that's their ad creative, right? Whether it works, I actually don't know because I don't run ads for them, right? Uh, But the other thing you want to do that's a bit more powerful to actually keep content going with this is you simply, every time you get featured, every time you post it out, or every time you have like an insightful video clip or content piece that does well, you just want to keep pouring gasoline on the fire, right? And all that is, is you're just simply boosting the posts. And this can be done really quickly in LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. There's a pretty good course on this. It's called Dollar a Day by Dennis Yu. That's actually where I learned it from, where if you're using this for retargeting or if you're using it to test ad creatives, you test across a fair small amount. You do a small amount of budget across a large amount of ad creatives, determine what the winners are, And then when the winners are running, you increase the spend, basically. How we use PR, we use it as a touch point. So 
if someone goes to your website and they click on the site, they stay on for three seconds, you can convert that data and you can run a lookalike audience. So maybe a couple of days later that they're seeing, oh, these guys are featured in Forbes. I'll remember these guys. Let's go back on the page and kind of popped in, right? That's really all we look at using social proof, but on steroids continuously. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go back to the emailing. So uh, I would love your take on when you first started your business, cold emailing techniques, and then how they've evolved since then and where you see them going. Yeah, when I first started, it was relatively easy for me to just email the most generic copy to maybe book a couple meetings out of 100, which is still pretty okay when you consider the fact that only 4% of people are interested in a service at any given time. But from what I'm seeing, and I'm attributing this to uh, people like Alex Ramazzi kind of coming in and giving a bunch of advice to people where they're saying, have a hot offer, have a bold claim. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But people aren't really understanding the fact that a hot offer is determined by your buyer, right? If they're getting bombarded with, we will double your revenue or get you 10 to 15 sales calls guaranteed per month, mm -hmm. they're really not going to care, right? And one thing I think that people leave out is the extracurricular stuff behind cold email. Like it is way harder to land in the inbox in 2023 compared to 2020 when I started it is also harder to make someone care, right? They might like your offer, but they have to like you and not necessarily like you, more trust you because they can like what they see, but what's going to happen is they're probably going to search you up. They're probably going to search up your company. If you have amazing case studies, great. That's in your favor. You better market them. If you have a lot of content, great. That's in your favor. You better make it as easy to find as possible, right? And as far as like hard numbers from what I've seen, there are way more people uh, sending out volume and there are more black hat ways to send out uh, mass volume. And those are typically taken by people who actually don't have good offers. Because when you think about it at the end of the day, the only people who are mass firing or mass running ads or content, not even content, but ads or email are really the people who are inefficient with their sales cycles or are at the point where they have a sales team and marketing team in place to handle all the leads in the first place because it is working. Yeah. You, 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 uh, there was a word I want to touch on that you just that you just mentioned, and that was they were going to look you up and trust you. So let's say you get to that point and your emails are going out in the, in the a way where that it isn't ineffective. It's not a mass. It's very targeted. And then, so then now you've got people looking, okay, is this a trusted authority? How do brands position themselves? What are there some keys that they can do to position themselves as trusted authorities? So the easiest thing, it's kind of like I said before, you want to control what's being found around you. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you have something like a LinkedIn or Facebook, that's fine, right? The easiest thing companies can do for their company presence, and then I'll touch on individuals, companies need to take advantage of sites like G2 or Clutch or Captera or um, Homestars or Yelp or places like that. And they need to incentivize their clients to fill out as many reviews as possible. Because yeah. what happens when you search a company up and you're seeing hundreds of five-star reviews, they're going to trust you a bit more than someone with one review, mm -hmm. right? But also from the individual side, how you can replicate this is with press, right? And the easiest thing, if you want to do this right away without my help, without anyone's help, you can go out there and buy a simple $200, $300 press release from a site like AccessWire. 
that gets you the ability to get you on Yahoo Finance or Business Insider or another publication. And you can talk a little bit on your expertise for a couple hundred words or something like that. And because it's on you know, Business Insider, right? What that does is that basically ranks extremely highly on Google, right? Now, is it going to be the most authoritative thing you can do for your marketing? Not really, right? Because being on like national TV or having a Wikipedia page is arguably way better because that's something that you cannot control yourself, but it is a start and it is something else to note. The other thing I would look at from an individual brand, if you have done anything from speaking or podcasts or PR, you should have an individual site, like something simple like LanceKeiko.com or CarsonSvitsky.com or something like that. That is super helpful to occupy more digital real estate as well. And the only other thing I would add on top of that is when you get a personal site, you can do something that's called a Google knowledge panel. If you search up a celebrity, like I'll just use the example of Tom Cruise. What you'll find with Tom Cruise, and I should actually make sure this is accurate right now. Okay. Um, yeah, okay, it is. What you'll see when you search up Tom Cruise is you'll see this little, like, banner with a bunch of images it'll say like tom cruise american actor film producer you know the images it'll go into his movies videos songs relationships things like that versus if you search up the normal american person that isn't a thing because they're not noteworthy in google's eyes that's called a google knowledge panel and that can be triggered by again having a personal website having content out on your name and a couple of other factors as well this a lot of architects if a lot of builders architects engineers again that's sort of our industry they're always trying to tell a story right like let's say it's a custom residential project there's a family there's a story involved with it what what kind of component advice would you give them in terms of if they're trying to if they're trying to revamp their website what are some key components of of them telling compelling stories that 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 capture attention and then drives action from a potential audience of, of customers? There's two parts, the storytelling part and getting someone to take action. The first thing with the storytelling part, you want to make it as relatable as possible. And it's simple copy, right? If you can give a bold headline, deliver on the bold headline and keep delivering throughout your content so that the reader feels like, okay, this meets my expectations. Let's keep going. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're interested. They're like, you know, keeping go, keep going they are more likely to get to the bottom and actually understand the message. The key thing with storytelling though, is you don't want to tell a story. You want to tell a parable, right? Like in the Bible, Jesus would tell like a bunch of stories. Great. I'm sure you may have read them to your five-year-olds or you've probably had them read to you at some point in time. But what you can do with turning your stories into parables is you can have that overarching message be super obvious slap you in the face right and you can do this from a number of different ways like if you want to talk about a common objection that really isn't actually an objection it's just a mental barrier tell a parable tell a story turn it into a parable right make it so that they come to the conclusion on your own like for example if i'm saying like ipr you probably don't care right mm -hmm. but if i tell you a story on what someone's pain points were what happened when they bought pr they are more likely, or the reader's more likely to think, okay, that's interesting. Maybe I should do something like this too, or this could be a good idea, or maybe this is a terrible idea. I don't want to do this, right? 
Yeah, I love that. Carson, uh, you've been a great guest so far. I've been running up on the half hour here. We've got two questions I ask every guest. First one is, knowing what you know now, and if you could go back in time to when you first started your business, what is one piece of advice you'd give your former self? Understand that you have to do a lot more volume to succeed, whether it's like, for me, cold email volume or work or hours. Not everything's going to come as easy. And just because dollars don't go up doesn't mean that your skill level and your ability to make more money down the line or grow a bigger business isn't going up at the same time. Mm-hmm. Where can people, if, if Carson, if people want to get in touch with you, your, your firm, um, pick up the book, where can they find, follow you? Yeah, sure. So the easiest thing to do, like I, I can send you the links for this, but uh, my name's pretty unique, Carson Spitsky. I, I am most active on LinkedIn. Our site is Spitz Solutions. If you want full done for you press for your brand or for yourself, but yeah, LinkedIn's where I spend most of my time for the time being. Okay. Beautiful. Thanks so much, Carson. We really appreciate your time being on the show today. Awesome. Thank you.